It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 371 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called regulations. It is August 5th, 2022, and this is Jen. I'm going to start with an update from the previous Soulstone where I talked to two of the lead uh, designers or creators of Helgard Curse of Cana. It was on Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is done, and they actually got 1,032 backers who all together pledged $73,984 to bring this project to life, which is fantastic. That means, you know, whoever put in some money like Sean and I did, will get the loot eventually. They did post a thank you. One of the things they're talking about is if you've never purchased something through Kickstarter or, you know, funded it in any way, uh, Kickstarter takes... It it takes its time to get the funds going and things like that. So you're not going to get your stuff immediately if you have pledged to this. You'll get it, though. And they're actually at Gen Con. So Gen Con is in uh, Indianapolis in Indiana. And it runs from August 4th through August 7th. Today's the 5th. So there's a few more days. If you're close to Gen Con, maybe you can try to contact them or something. Or if you're there, you know, go look for their booth. I'm sure they have a booth somewhere. And I just think it's really cool. I think it's a f- it's going to be a really cool, scary game with a lot of elements of stuff that I like, like Diablo and Castlevania and all this other stuff. And they were really fun to talk to. I hope you liked that episode that we did. I don't I don't think I've ever had people on because of a Kickstarter that involved Diablo stuff before. So I figured, why not? So that's going on. And in addition to this, I want to say that it looks like Gen Con has actually is actually a conference that is using health and safety information so they are requiring every participant including attendees exhibitors event organizers guests and gen con staff to comply with the full health and safety requirements and some of that is they want to show proof of full vaccination with the COVID-19 vaccine authorized for emergency use by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration or the World Health Organization. According to Gen Con and possibly these other two groups, fully vaccinated means that the day of your first entry to Gen Con must be at least 14 days after completion of your primary series of an FDA or who approved uh, or authorized COVID-19 vaccine. They, they are approving face coverings, meaning all participants must wear an approved face covering at all times while indoors in any Gen Con controlled space and while attending or participating in any event in any venue that requires a Gen Con badge for entry. They're also doing daily health monitoring. So anyone who is not feeling well or begins to experience symptoms of COVID-19 or any other similarly communicable illness at any time during Gen Con should contact and follow the guidance of their physician. All participants are required to accept and comply with the below health and safety acknowledgement in order to be granted entry to Gen Con. I've got an article here from The Gamer. I don't know much about this website, but their articles seem all right. They posted this one on July 28th, which would have been after the previous show that I did. A better Ubisoft says 
None of its demands have been met over the past year. Ubisoft continues to lose talent by ignoring a better Ubisoft's demands. If you don't know what a better Ubisoft is, they kind of started after a better ABK started pushing for unionization and ABK has done some walkouts and things like that. I'm not sure what all Ubisoft has done, but it doesn't seem to be working very well. So here's a little bit from this article. It has been one year since advocate group A Better Ubisoft penned an open letter to Ubisoft management. I hope I'm, su- I hope I'm pronouncing that right. How else would you pronounce Ubisoft, right? Uh, demanding structural, meaningful changes to the French f- publisher's operations. A thousand current and former Ubisoft employees signed the letter, which was made in solidarity with the Activision Blizzard walkout in August of 2021, calling for the end of abuse at both Ubisoft and the video game industry as a whole. One year later, a better Ubisoft has taken to Twitter to announce that absolutely none of its demands have been met, and as a result, Ubisoft continues to lose valuable employees, a disproportionate amount of which are women. And there's actually a tweet from a better Ubisoft here, and it says, I was posted July 28, it says, It is one year to the day that we signed our open letter to Ubisoft management calling for far more action to tackle abuse and setting out our four key demands. None of our demands have been met. The key takeaways from the Twitter thread include 25% of those who signed the 2021 letter have now left Ubisoft for other companies. Of those who quit, 39% use she-her pronouns, while 1% use they-them pronouns. Women represent just 25.4% of our global workforce, explained a better Ubisoft, which means that we are massively disproportionate, losing women who signed our open letter calling for more action to tackle abuse. And it's talking about there's been harassment, assault, abuse, and that led the CEO, uh, Yves Gilmot, to announce changes to Ubisoft's hiring practices to better improve company diversity, but no change actually happened, apparently, according to this article. And then Rock Paper Shotgun, that I guess has been doing PC gaming since 1873? Really? Okay. Um, <laughs> they wrote this. On uh, July 28th as well, Ubisoft employee group says none of their demands have been met. Uh, they've got a lovely picture here of um, a very angry character from from one of their video games. I can't remember the name of this character. Um, anyway, I, I can't play their games. I think they're all on PC. But it kind of says a lot of what the previous one said and has the same quote. And here's a bit about what a better Ubisoft is asking for. They're asking that Ubisoft, quote, stop promoting and moving known offenders from studio to studio, team to team with no repercussions, as well as a meaningful say of how the company moves forward, cross-industry collaboration on how to deal with offenses and the involvement in this process of employees in non-management positions and union representatives. So that's, you know, additional information that wasn't in the other article. The A Better ABK account on Twitter responded to Ubisoft, who posted the rock, paper, shotgun thing, and wrote this, From the very first day at A Better Ubisoft released their demands, we have supported them wholeheartedly, and we will continue to keep pushing for change, and together we can create a better gaming industry, one that gives employees the respect and consideration they deserve. On August 3rd, uh, there's a thread here from GWA Albany, which is a union trying to get together or has gotten together within Activision Blizzard. Just fairly recently, this thread is from August 3rd, and I'm just going to read it to you. 
It appears that Activision Blizzard's management has once again decided to take the low road by choosing to fight against our union in spite of the fact that 95% of us have signed union representation cards. If you don't know what that is, one of the ways you can signify, yes, I want this union to exist, or yes, I want to be part of this union is to sign a card. It can be digital or it can be paper. And if you get enough of those votes, then you have a union. That's it. And you're usually working with a group that helps you to form a union as well. So that's what they're talking about. They're saying there's massive amount of, yes, we want this union. And they got it because of the vote. And now, of course, Activision Blizzard is not respecting the union. The thread continues with, almost every time this company has the opportunity to begin to repair its reputation and demonstrate that it respects its workers, it declines to do so. Earlier this year, Activision fought fiercely against the supermajority of Raven QA workers who wanted a union voice. Activision lost that fight, and it's clear that the company will lose again this time. Instead of following Microsoft's lead, as you know, Microsoft is trying to acquire Activision Blizzard King. Instead of following Microsoft's lead and committing to a labor neutrality agreement, Activision has made the clear and conscious decision to deny us our basic labor rights while once again spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a union-busting firm. After the failure to recognize the will of the workers at Raven Software, Activision has been given another chance to redeem itself in the eyes of not only its workers, but also the public. There was reason to think this time could be different. Activision CEO Bobby Kotek has even sent a letter informing employees that the company would negotiate a contract with the Raven QA workers in good faith. But in an unfortunate and unsurprising turn of events, the company has chosen to delay recognition of our union in a futile effort to disband it. We remain willing to engage with, with management productively if ABK leadership will commit to the high road to, to high road labor standards. However, if Activision continues its hostility, we are more than ready to go forward and win the formal legal recognition our union deserves. Because they can do that. That's part of unionization. If your company says, too bad, I'm not going to let you unionize. I'm not going to recognize it. You have none of those benefits. You can go ahead through the company that's helping you or the organization that's helping you form a union and they can justify it. They can make it legal and hey, yes, you have a union. You've done all the things. There you go. And then they can push the company for you. So all of these things are important. I honestly believe that every company should have a union because I don't want anybody in a workplace that is being treated badly over and over again or is in a workplace where things are completely unsafe for them. I don't want people to have to like live through that because they need the money. I want someone to protect them. And that's what unionization does got an article here from NME and it's titled it's the year of worker power why unionization in gaming is here to stay this was written by Andy Brown on August 5th which is today organizers across the games industry tell NME why quote workers coming together is the only thing that can bring lasting change there is a content warning on this article I'm not going to read the whole thing to you but it's talking about references to self-harm and suicide so if it's right at the top. If you need to skip that, that's fine. I will not mention that in this show. So here's a little bit from this article. In 2021, the games industry was in turmoil. A series of high-profile allegations rocked the world's biggest studios, and a bombshell lawsuit from the state of California filed against Activision Blizzard King took center stage. The lawsuit's allegations exposed a deep-running culture of harassment and misconduct at the Call of Duty developer, but it was the company's response, which outright denied the claims, that exposed the fact that Activision's leadership was not on the same side as its employees. 
employees. As workers reckoned with toxic working conditions and hostile executives, employees at Activision founded a better ABK and organized a walkout to protest the company's problems. Workers at Ubisoft dealing with separate allegations of misconduct at their own company also organized to demand change. That organization was the spark for something else on people's minds, especially Activision employees' unionization. When Activision Blizzard fired over a third of Warzone developer Raven Software's Quality Assurance QA team toward the end of 2021, company-wide walkouts and strikes resulted in staff at Raven Software unionizing as the Game Workers Alliance. Months later, an Quality assurance testers at the Edmonton branch of Keywords Studios, a major Bioware contractor, voted to unionize with the support of employees at Raven Software. As even more studios begin the unionization process, NME spoke to organizers across Activision Blizzard King, Ubisoft, and Keywords Studios to explore the industry's changing landscape, though their employers varied. Everyone who spoke to NME believed that COVID-19 had played a huge part in changing the way that unionization was viewed. And there's quotes in here throughout this if you want to see who they talked to and what they said and all of this stuff. Now, I believe personally that COVID changed a whole lot of things. I think a lot of people have come to that realization. We had a situation where people were suddenly working from home and kids were uh, doing schooling through the Internet kind of thing which was different to what they'd known before. If I, I wonder, honestly, if you were a kindergartner in 2020 and your school didn't open and then the next year it kind of did or maybe didn't, like how you perceive school in, physical, in the physical world to be. Like, I don't know how that messed them up. But for adults that were working from home and that had jobs, some of them found they preferred it to work from home because it gave them a lot more time in their day. If you're working from home, you don't have to commute. You don't have to pay for gas or for a bus ticket or whatever means you're getting back and forth from work. Uh, meetings can happen just at your home. You know, you're just there yourself, that kind of thing. And also, if everybody is uh, sort of zooming in, then nobody can spread any kind of virus or whatever. So I think people had the opportunity to kind of take a look at that, kind of have that extra time to themselves where they're not, you know, rushing back and forth, trying to commute or spending hours commuting in some cases. And went, you know what, I think I like this better than what I had. And then a lot of workplaces demanded people come back to the office and COVID starts spreading again. And it, the whole thing just, you know, keeps going and going. Now, anyone that is immunocompromised, has an immunocompromised person in their home, is probably going to be very wary of going back to the office and this sort of thing. And it just feels to me like that was when the shift happened, though, is when the big corporations and some of the small ones said, no, you have to be in person here, regardless of whether that's safe for you or anyone else. You know, I think that's what it is. So I think perhaps some of this unionization that kind of had its spark earlier, I think as people ended up working from home and realizing that being in the office is not a good place for them, I think that's what's making the push towards unionization so they can get those things that they need. If you're disabled in some way and it's hard for you to commute, you're going to be better working off from home. You know what I mean? So I think that's where it's going. I'm going to leave you to read the rest of the article. Again, there is a content warning at the very top of it, and you can choose for yourself if that's something you want to read. As I said, I wouldn't mention what it was here. Some of you might know because it was I've mentioned it in regards to lawsuits from from uh, various places in uh, attacking you know, what Activision uh, Blizzard failed to do, basically. So there's that. In good news, after mentioning that unionization is here to stay in the gaming community, which is huge, that's like never happened before. This is very recent stuff. 
in terms of, you know, labor issues. Tender Claws Human Union provided an update on August 1st and said, Update Tender Claws Management has signed our voluntary recognition agreement, making Tender Claws the fourth video game company in North America with a recognized union. This huge step forward clears the way for us to bargain a strong, fair union contract. So it's working for them. And then we have uh, some regulations going on here. So there's a website called nicopartners.com. I know nothing about it other than it posted the thing I'm going to try to read to you here. And it's titled, Indonesia Requires Formal Registration of Tech and Game Companies. I'll just read a little bit. The Ministry of Communication and Information Technology in the Republic of Indonesia has issued Regulation Number 5 of 2020 on a name I cannot pronounce, but in English it comes to private electronic system providers, meaning like providing games and stuff like that, I think. The regulation is imposed to local as well as foreign tech enterprises operating in Indonesia, which include game companies who are, one, providing services within the territory of Indonesia, two, doing business in Indonesia, and or three, whose electronic system is used and or offered in the territory of Indonesia. There are four main objectives of the regulation. One, establishing a system of all PSEs, um, private electronic system providers, operating in Indonesia. Two, maintaining Indonesia's digital space. Three, protecting public access on digital platforms. And four, creating a fair system between domestic and foreign PSEs, including in terms of tax collection. And there's a little paragraph here. According to the PSE website run by something called ComInfo with a K at the front, there are currently 8,276 private PSE that are registered, consisting of 8,069 domestic PSE and 207 foreign PSE. Some of the big names who have registered to the website are Google, YouTube, Search Engine. I, I don't know what Search Engine. Is this a specific thing or is this a generic term? I don't know. Play Store, Ragnarok Online, Valorant, PUBG Mobile, Mobile Legend, Roblox, and Google Maps. There are companies and games that have not yet registered to ComInfo's database, including Opera, LinkedIn, PayPal, Amazon.com, Alibaba.com, Yahoo, Bing, Steam, Epic Games, Battle.net, Battle.net, Origin, Counter-Strike, Global Offensive, and Dota 2. Failure to comply will be met with the following steps, a formal warning, a monetary fine, and access termination. And then it's talking about why they're, um, why they're doing this. There's a lot of paragraphs here about that. It says that Indonesia is ranked as Southeast Asia's largest games market. And despite this, there are relatively few local game developers in Indonesia. And, and it goes on and on. But basically, if you are one of these companies that hasn't registered with the Ministry of Communication and Information Technology or something like that, then uh, you probably can't have your games there anymore or your your website or your whatever you do. Um, so that could be a problem. You know, that could be a big problem. There is a guy on Twitter named Daniel Ahmad. He tweets about video game, the video games industry. He's a senior analyst at Nico Partners, which is, I think, exactly where I read this from, Nico Partners. Yep. And he wrote this. 
Companies that failed to register with ComInfo are now being blocked in Indonesia. This was on July 29. This includes services such as Steam, Epic Games, PayPal, etc. We'll update when there is a greater clarity from these platforms or the government on the next steps. I don't know what happened after that. I honestly don't know. Maybe something will pop up that'll tell me. In other regulations, a while back I mentioned that Belgium was banning loot boxes because they felt that it wasn't good for the people playing it, especially kids or something like that. I This is from memory. I know I talked about this on this show at some point. So the, the Gamer website, which I, I'm finding very helpful this particular episode, has a title of an article that is Belgium's loot box ban has been, quote, ineffective, comma, remains in 82% of top games. A new study has found that Belgium's loot box ban is not being enforced as intended. Back in 2018... Belgium became one of the first countries to rule that loot boxes are a form of gambling. Due to this, they were automatically banned from video games. However, it now appears that this ruling was ineffective, with loot boxes still appearing in 82% of top mobile games. This news comes from loot box researcher Leon uh, Y-Ziao, I'm guessing that's how you say it, starts with an X, who has found that the most successful mobile game developers are ignoring the ban. Zhao's report states that the ban simply gave consumers a, quote, false sense of security, end quote, and needs addressing if the law is to be enforced as intended. Quote, loot boxes remained widely available amongst the 100 highest grossing iPhone games in Belgium, reads the report, thanks to gamesindustry.biz, so I guess you could Check that out, too, if you want. 82% continued to generate revenue through a randomized monetization method, as did 80.2% of games rated suitable for young people aged 12+. plus. There's the quote. Coming to the conclusion that the ban has not been effect- effectively enforced, the study also speaks of the negative side effects of its failed implementation. For example, it means that companies that do comply with regulations are essentially punished for doing so, making less revenue than publishers who have circumvented the rules. As a result of this, Zhao suggests that regulators change their strategy, writing, quote, The complete elimination of the loot box mechanic from a country is not practically achievable. End quote. He also draws attention to the fact that the ban was only ever part of existing gambling legislation, with no specific law set aside for loot boxes. This makes it impossible for game companies to be awarded a license to implement them legally. Yeah, and it goes on from here a little bit, but that's that's what's going on. I guess it didn't. Their legislation needs something, you know, <laughs> and doesn't have. And I can imagine though, if you are a gaming company that is on a mobile game where you most people expect to see at least the offering of, hey, do you want to buy this? Like, you know, Diablo Immortal, like, did to death. And it's first, like, as soon as it came out, I think it's gotten a bit better now, but I'm not sure. In any case, you know, if we're used to that kind of thing, we probably don't even think about it. And you don't necessarily have to buy every loot box you see, either, depending on how awful the game is. If it's your only way to progress and that's all, then, you know, that's something. But the thing is, if they're already, you know, if they're still using them in the game, you know, Belgium is not able to really do anything about it. I think that's a clear signal to the rest of the mobile gaming creator community, like the people, that the companies that make it, that they can just do this forever, you know? (laughs) So I guess they're going to have to, Belgium's going to have to try again with something. Okay, so I talked about uh, Gen Con. Now I'm going to talk about TwitchCon. 
also from The Gamer, but I've seen a number of people talk about this on Twitter. And this article is titled, How Many Partners Need to Drop Out of TwitchCon Before the Safety Requirements Come Back? This was written eight hours ago from the time that I'm recording this. Uh, Despite backlash from partners and fans, Twitch has not yet reinstated COVID safety requirements for the event. And there's a picture here of, it looks like you're in the back of a crowd of people looking at a stage. It's very purple. It says TwitchCon and there's little lights and there's a ripped like surgical mask, like the blue ones kind of cracking over it, which is, that's, that's a statement right there. Earlier this week, Twitch quietly updated the health and safety policy for this year's TwitchCon. Attendees will no longer be required to wear masks or show proof of vaccination. Twitch says that while masks are still encouraged, the change in policy is in accordance with current local guidelines. Despite the fact that San Diego Comic-Con required masks and vaccines at the exact same venue last month, TwitchCon will not. In June, convention organizer Reed Pop made the same decision for the upcoming Emerald City Comic Con, which takes place at the Seattle Convention Center August 18 to 21. Both conventions are dropping their COVID safety measures just months after COVID outbreaks were reported at the game developer conference Anime NYC and at least one COVID death related death at PAX East 2022. For both TwitchCon and ECCC, the reaction from creators and fans have been overwhelmingly negative. The decision to lift mask and vaccine requirements amidst the ongoing pandemic creates an unnecessary risk for attendees, and many are refusing to go if these baseline safety measures are not reinstated. Unfortunately, celebrities and comic creators attending ECCC may not have a choice. Fan events are a major source of income for some, and those that do the convention circuit rely on the ability to sell autographs, art, and books to fans. While many have canceled their plans to attend the convention later this month, the backlash hasn't been enough to sway ReadPop into reversing the decision. TwitchCon has entirely different circumstances. The convention is much more of a social gathering for creators and their communities than the typical Comic-Con, and because of the nature of their work, streamers have big, influential social media platforms. When Twitch streamers voice their opposition to this decision, a lot more people are going to hear it. Since the policy was changed earlier this week, there has been a flood of partners opting out of the event. Streamers like, I don't know, I'm sure I don't know who these people are, but you might uh, Trihex, Annie Munition, like Ammunition, um, and Meg Turney have all expressed their disappointment over this the decision. While dozens of other partners are all canceling their plans to attend, a post criticizing the policy change on Twitch's official user voice site has thousands of upvotes and hundreds of comments from creators that say they no longer plan to attend the convention. Twitch ambassador and Able Gamers director of development Stephen Spahn recommends that no one attend the convention until Twitch starts taking the health and safety of its staff seriously. Other creators, like voice actor Anna Brisbane and screenwriter slash animal talking host Gary Witta also say they won't attend if the safety policy isn't reinstated. There is no TwitchCon without Twitch streamers, and it goes on from there a little bit, you know, and it seems to me that this is a pattern. I've seen this, you know, with TwitchCon. I've seen this with other podcasting conferences, um, you know, any kind of conference that's in person, especially if they don't have like a stream of it for people to watch at home safely, that kind of thing. Or maybe people that just can't afford to travel there, you know, like BlizzCon used to have like the version you could watch online. It was pretty much the same thing, that kind of thing. It's like, it's like all of these big companies, for the most part, don't care anymore. They want to go back to what was, quote, normal 
you know, before COVID. And if you think about that, I've been to some BlizzCons before COVID. I, my husband has gone with me. And, you know, con crud is a thing. And it's more than that now in today's world. So I don't understand why these groups are doing this. It seems to me the pattern is, hey, we're a big, cool gaming company or whatever, or a podcasting company or whatever they're doing. And we want you to all come to our convention and here's all the cool stuff we're going to have. And oh yeah, we've got all these COVID protections, no problem. And then everybody goes, yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to go there as a vendor and sell my stuff, or I'm going to go as, you know, a, a celebrity and, and meet some fans and, or, you know, this kind of thing. And then right before or shortly before, after everybody has booked tickets, gotten all their merch together, uh, figured out their schedule as to when they're going to be there and in what place and all of this stuff, they go, oh, just kidding, we're dropping all of those COVID regulations. So now you've got people who have a lot of product that they can't bring to the convention safely, especially if they're immune compromised or someone in their life is. That's kind of a crappy thing to do to people. You know, it's like a bait and switch. Like here, we want to make money off of you buying the tickets. And yeah, you've already paid for airfare and you've already got, you've already booked a probably expensive hotel room, but you know, we're just not going to protect you from COVID because we don't care. That's what I'm hearing from this. And it's kind of terrifying for people like me that already can't leave the house and haven't really left the house much since the pandemic started with the first like lockdowns in March of 2020, I think it was in the United States or parts of it. So just be careful out there, people. You don't know what you're going into if you're walking into one of these things. And it is my understanding that, you know, if you're the person going in saying, well, you know, I'm pretty healthy, I've, I'm vaccinated and, you know, I've got a flu shot or whatever this is going to run into, you know, I mean, I don't want anybody getting sick from this and I think it's terrifying, but, you know, do what you got to do. But if you don't have to be there, maybe don't. Every so often, David Brevik, who is the person that created Diablo and Hellgate and some other stuff, you've heard of this man's name, he goes way back in the Diablo history of games, gets asked a question by someone, and he frequently answers it. So, someone going by the Twitter handle of ZoofBoof, I have no idea what that's supposed to mean, asked David Brevik this, Hey David, a quick question, is Diablo 1 entirely sprite-based? Thanks. David Brevik responded, yes, sorta. Sprites weren't a hardware-supported concept for PCs in the mid-90s, parentheses, or ever, end of parentheses. The rendering was done in memory and, quote, blitted to the video card, DirectX. All of the graphics were stored as compressed pixel images that were decompressed, colorized, and drawn each frame. Someone asked, is blitted a term you came up with? Haven't heard of that one before. And David Brevik responded, and he said, blit is a, a real term, an old term, meaning, to ra meaning rapidly copying a block of memory from one location to another. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I really love that he will answer questions from, you know, back in the day, like, how did you do this? Or how did this happen? And whose art is this? And all that kind of stuff. He'll answer. And I think that's fantastic. As you probably have already heard, um, yesterday, the Diablo account on Twitter says that Diablo 3's 2.7.4 PTR has come to an end and, you know, prepare for season 27. But the test, the public test realm is done. You're not going to be able to do that for season 27 anymore. And that, of course, means eventually we will have season 27 coming up. And there's a little update on the public test realm thing, again, saying that 
that this one's done. And there's um, some stuff they've added in here about new class-specific sanctified powers, which has to do with season 27. And, you know, you can roll through that if you want. Everything I talk about is going to be in the show notes. You can find it easily. And again, we've got Diablo today on the 5th says, Hunt while you still can. Diablo 3 season 26 ends on August 21st. So today's the 5th. We usually get like a week, two weeks, maybe three, but it seems like they're giving us more time for 26 to get done. And I know I have not had the time or energy to get my monk to, to uh, level 70 yet, but maybe I'll jump in later tonight and do that. I've been sticking all of my Diablo videos on my YouTube channel. It's Book of Jen, just like my website's called Book of Jen. So you can find it there if you really want to see what I'm doing. But honestly, I'm not like the most maxed out quickest player you'll find. So it's just if you want to see what I'm up to, it's there. There is a blue note, as we call them, on the Blizzard forums and the the topic, the general discussion topic, which appears to be locked or closed now. There's a little lock next to it. it says season 26, the fall of the Nephilim ending soon. This was written by community manager Filthy Rich. And here's what he wrote. Hello all, season 26 is coming to a close. Below are the times when season 26 will end for each region. For North America, it's August 21st at 5 p.m. PDT. For Europe, it's August 21st at 5 p.m. CEST. And for Asia, it is August 21st at 5 p.m. KST. They will be providing a season 27 preview soon, which will include the start time for the next season. And Filthy Rich ends it with saying, stay tuned. Then we have... The Diablo guy, the guy that spent a fucking fortune in Diablo Immortal and then was mortified that he couldn't get into Battlegrounds or whatever the heck else he was trying to do. There's some articles about him. Um, So Kotaku wrote a couple days ago an article titled Diablo Immortal Player Says He Can't Get a Match After Spending $100,000. And there's an update in here. So I'll read you a little bit from that. And then I think the update is towards the bottom, maybe? Yeah, the the update's towards the bottom. So if you haven't heard about this because you're not on Twitter or you don't care, um, (laughs) this is just one of those things. Like, we've been talking about, as the Diablo community has been talking about whales and how, you know, this is the way that... Blizzard is funding Diablo Immortal or something along those lines and how it's really hard to compete against them because they can just throw money in it like it's a never-ending slot machine, you know, these kinds of things. And so this guy, this guy went a little bit overboard in my opinion, but here's what Kutako had to say. Diablo Immortal's pay-to-win mechanics have been controversial since the game launched back in June. Back in June feels like a long time compared to where the game is now, but it's also just been a couple months, you know? Now they've they've also apparently broken the game for at least one YouTuber who reportedly spent over $100,000 on beefing up his barbarian character. The player's win rate is seemingly so good the game won't even match him against other players, tor- torpedoing his prospects of competing in the last Rite of Exile endgame event. Over the weekend, Diablo Immortal YouTuber JT It's All Business asked viewers if he should try to refund his $100,000 account as a result of the issue. He claimed that he spent so much money immediately following the game's release that he was able to easily overpower almost every opponent in the game's PvP Battlegrounds mode. As a result, he had hundreds of wins and only a few losses, pumping up his MMR, which is match making rank so high it became impossible to queue with anyone else now first he poured a ton of money into this second he was 
buffed up so much his character was that he could easily beat opponents, which was pumping up his win rate. And after he got to that point, there wasn't anyone on his server that was close enough to him that would be a good challenge. So he did this to himself is what I'm seeing here. Uh, There's a quote from him in here. Um, He contacted Blizzard about the issue almost a month ago and said he was eventually told the problem would be addressed in a couple of weeks. Now, however, his clan one times, O-N-E, and then times, squished together, two words, two capitals, is competing in the right of exile to defend its Immortals title against other players as part of Diablo Immortals' elaborate endgame. The only problem is JT It's All Business can't join them. Part of the questline requires participating in a standard Battlegrounds PvP match, but because of his matchmaking limbo, he was unable to qualify. And uh, there's quotes from him as well, and he's got some videos about, you know, he was showing off his collection of videos of what he's done and this, that, and the other. Um, For many other players in the community, however, it's a chef's kiss moment for everything they hate about the game's monetization. Quote, congratulations, you just quote one in a pay-to-win game, reads one of the top comments on his YouTube video discussing the issue. Quote, can't complain about that, you got what you paid for. End quote. Others shared similar sentiments, and the video itself was downvoted thousands of times. I guess Reddit got it as well and started commenting, um... On that, there's some other comments in here. And here's the update on August 2nd. While Blizzard didn't comment directly on JT is all businesses case above, it did say it was working on general fixes to matchmaking that will arrive sometime this week. Uh, Here's a quote. We've heard feedback that some Diablo Immortal players are unable to find matches in Battleground PvP, or it might take a long time, a spokesperson for Blizzard wrote in an email to Kotaku. We're looking into these reports and expect to roll out changes to the matchmaking system this week. So there's that. Then we have uh, Eurogamer. This is from August 3rd. Diablo Immortal player spends 100k on game, now can't find anyone suitable to matchmake with, and then Blizzard responds. So it's probably the same comment in there um there's a screenshot of this guy's build he's got like wings and all this other stuff he's got his gear is all maxed up to 12 at the point of this screenshot there are legendary gems in everything i have no idea how big the gems are he's got a ton of gold here it looks like if that's what that's representing on the screen he's um got his uh as most streamers do you have a background behind you and it's his character so that it looks like he's wearing the wings and all of this and and I don't even know, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a mess. And then he actually started to play in a battleground. Now, this was posted on August 3rd. He's kind of being weird about it, in my opinion. I watched some of it, okay? I watched some of it. And he has titled this one, JT is in the battlegrounds. Battlegrounds is in all caps. Exclamation point. Barb is back. Is and back are in all caps. And yeah, he was in a battleground. But he also wrote this. He wrote, let's go with like a million S's, which is a pretty common thing to see on YouTube or Twitch. Um, And he wrote, I know some of you are big mad. Ha ha. Feels bad, man. Exclamation point. The whale is back. Daily live stream. And then there's a Twitch link. Uh, so apparently he plays this game every day. And I was watching him in the battlegrounds because I thought, okay, well, if he's, you know, if he's in the battlegrounds, something changed that allowed him to get into the battlegrounds. That's fine. And then if he can get into the battlegrounds, he can probably do that last thing with the immortals or whatever that he wants to do. But he mostly spent his time in the short amount of time that I was watching this kind of laughing about it. 
and saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go for wins first of all. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for L's because I want to like straighten that out." And I didn't know what he was talking about, but now I do. He had too many wins and couldn't be matched, so he's trying to like use the battlegrounds now to lower that ratio of wins to loss so that maybe he could like actually play with people again. He was clearly in there. He didn't appear to be attacking people very much. It seemed from, this is just my opinion. It seemed like he wasn't, you can see when like a bigger player joins a group in a dungeon or, or anything like that. And they want other people to get a chance to fight, you know, some of those things or fight other PVP, you know, stuff. And so they like back off a little bit. It didn't feel to me like that's what he was doing. It felt like he was kind of trying to attack, but he was getting killed anyway. And I'm not sure that all that money he spent was going to make him the god he thought it would, if that's in, if that was his intent. I mean, by building all of that up, I don't really know. I don't know this guy, but that's what was happening with the video I saw. It's still on YouTube and it's probably, it's got 259 comments and I'm not going to read any of them right now into the show because they can't be good. You know, I mean, they just can't be. But I am unsure if, okay, it's one of two things going on. One, he's doing this for attention. Okay. And with the comment he left on the YouTube thing, it's kind of being snarky to people that thought he was dumb for putting in a shitload of money into this game. But also, he's either, like, he's giddy about being able to be in there, and that could be messing with his concentration of trying to fight in the PvP, you know, battleground. But when he does try to attack people, it seemed like he wasn't sure how to, effectively. You know, the idea is, yeah, you, you use your skills and you, you know, swing your axe or whatever it is. He's playing a barbarian. I know how to barbarian. I'm not excellent at it, but I kind of have, you know, how to do it down. <laughs> from playing the game regularly without putting any money in, not doing anything special, but it seemed like he was, I'm not sure if it was, well, I'm, I'm just trying to get the L's to come up so that I'll have a better balance and I'll be able to play, or if he's really bad at the game. I'm not sure. I mean, you can watch this for yourself. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's just, this is like, this whole scenario here represents the most unhealthy thing about Diablo Immortal, honestly. And I love the game. I've not put any money in it. I play it when I can. It just feels like even if you drop all of your money into this game and you get all the cool gear and you max everything up and Blizzard lets you into the battleground because they realized that was a problem or something, it doesn't mean that you're going to be the best player in terms of knowing what you're doing or which skill to use when or how to team up with a group of people. And I think, I think even after everything he's done, he's going to struggle for a while. That's just my opinion. I'll let you look at the video if you care to and see what you think about that for yourself. On August 2nd, there's a post about Diablo Immortal. Diablo Immortal mini update. Season 3 Battle Pass begins soon. So we're already coming into season... We're, I, I guess it's the 5th, so we're actually maybe in season... Yeah, it starts on August too. It started already. The seasons of this are so short, I cannot keep track of them nor keep up with them personally. I don't care. I'm just having fun. But it just seems blindingly quick that the new season comes around. And I think if I had to guess, this is geared so that which, whichever clan is the Immortals now would have to fight for that for a short amount of time and then somebody else becomes the Immortals or they get it back again. I don't know. But in any case, 
This is what they're doing. It says, we are most pleased to unveil another batch of content updates coming to Diablo Immortal. There will be some server maintenance starting on August 2nd from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. PDT for Oceania, China, East Asia, and Southeast Asia servers, and also on August 3rd from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. PDT for servers in the Americas and Europe. You probably noticed this if you were trying to play during those times. But this means that... Diablo Immortal is going to be live in Oceania, China, East Asia, and Southeast Asia servers, and that was something that got held back because of an unfortunate post on Weibo by the Diablo Immortal, or maybe just the Diablo account itself, that kind of got uh, interpreted by the government as a reference to the leader, and yeah, that was a mess. I don't know why that happened. Apparently that account is locked. I don't know. But this is basically saying that they're now able to put that group in again. So they'll get to play too, <laughs> you know? So that's good, I suppose. And the part of this is talking about mini updates. With mini updates, players can anticipate seeing new content such as battle pass seasons, in-game events, feature updates, and more. In major updates, players can anticipate seeing content such as new gameplay features, free storyline expansions, in-game events, and more. So this is the thing. They're talking about season three battle pass aspect of justice, and it's got these really cool shiny armor sets that look like, I don't know, they're kind of gold and shiny and remind me of like the the uh, angels in Diablo 3. You know, they're kind of, you know, there's Tyrael, and there's all the other ones, stuff like that. You don't get a Tyrael sword as far as I can tell, but maybe I would love that, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's going to happen, but yeah. So uh, it looks like the season three started yesterday. And the Aspect of Justice Battle Pass is host to 40 ranks worth of challenges and rewards, such as Legendary Gems, Crests, Healths, more, etc. The Empowered One, of course, gives you more stuff. There's going to be a Wrathborn Invasion Daily event with this gigantic boss that you have to fight. I think his name is Gorgothra. <laughs> That's a hard one to say. There's a Limited Time Hungering Moon event, which is going to run through August 15th. I thought it was done. I thought it was done twice already. I guess they're still making this go. Maybe not enough people have done it. There's also some feature updates. There's Warband Improvement, and the and the new update is you can now see if members of your Warband are online and their current in-game activity within the Warband menu. That's something people wanted. I can see why. It's better to go. You get better stuff or more loot if you go in a Warband and fight whatever you're fighting. So that's good. There's a vote to kick thing. This is described like this. The ability to begin a vote to kick a party or raid group member who is inactive, continuously rejects the queue, or are engaged in other in-game activities has been added. This option will not be innately present. It only becomes available if the game detects a member of your party or raid group partaking in any of the aforementioned behavior. For a player to be kicked, it must be decided by a unanimous vote. I wonder what the... Uh I guess all those other ones. So if you're if you are a person who is joined a party or a raid group and you are inactive, um, maybe your internet just went poof, um, like ours did fairly recently. I wasn't playing Diablo Immortal at the time, though. Or you are doing other in-game activities like a dungeon, like a solo dungeon that, that you can't really get out of easily or rejecting the queue to get in. Any of those things, the rest of the group can say, yeah, let's kick that player out and we'll get somebody who's ready to play now. So that could happen. And it's probably going to make some people mad, but it is what it is. 
There's also a tweet from the Diablo Immortal account that says, 30 million mortals and plenty of demons slain. Log in to claim your rewards. So the tweet has this image of this big red monster. I'm not sure which one this one is exactly right now off the top of my head. And it says, we've reached 30 million installs. Thank you for defending Sanctuary. So that's kind of cool. I like the art. And then the uh, season three has commenced. This is written to, uh, yesterday, August 4th, on the Diablo Immortal account. And it says, embrace the might of an aspect of justice. Now, if you want to know what your class's aspect of justice is going to look like, there's a little video here. So you can just kind of wait until your class pops up and see if you like it. Or if you don't, uh, you don't have to get it. So <laughs> there's that. And we've also got uh, Lexu, is, who's part of Max Roll, uh, has posted a video called Ray of Frost and Magic Missile Battleground PvP Support Build for Diablo Immortal Wizard. And I've watched some of his videos previously, and he's pretty good at this. So if you're thinking about playing a wizard, you might want to check this out and see how that goes. And in addition, there's an artist who's going by the name Thiago Lehman, which may be his name, and he has created a Diablo II Paladin fan art, and it is gorgeous. It's got this stained glass look to it with bold outlines of different parts of the picture. The Crusader is wearing a hood, and his eyes are glowing, and he's holding up a flail and a shield with a big claw on it. There's flames underneath and all these skulls, and it's absolutely gorgeous. So I put it in here so you can check that out easily just by going to the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com. And that's all I have for today, so I'm going to end the show now. You have been listening to episode 371 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game, our in-game community and clan in Diablo 3 are both named Shattered Soulstone. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. You can also join us on the discard. Let's try that again. Discard. Nope. <laughs>